there in your Bibles. Amen. We said earlier, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We. What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Even the Lord Jesus Christ died, resurrected, rose from the dead, paid the price for our sins, and we believe that the Bible is the inspired Word of God. We preach out of the Bible, and we believe the Bible. You might remember Ben Franklin. I'm sure you don't remember this statement but it's a doozy. Ben Franklin said, one good husband is worth two good wives, for the scarcer things are, the more valuable they become. I want to uh, add to that and say something from my own personal years of experience. I believe that good husbands are more valuable than good wives, And before you ladies string me up, before the ladies join together and beat me and tar me me and feather me in the parking lot, hear me out. The reason that I say a good husband is more valuable than a good wife is because of the rarity of good husbands. In other words, my experience, I see far more good wives than I see good husbands, and I hope, ladies, with that, I'm back in your good graces again. And so tonight, this is a subject that I want to approach tonight, as as, uh, many of you are uh, at home and uh, and watching this service. I want to, like I did last Sunday, I want to minister on a subject that will that will be beneficial in your home. And so with that in mind, I wanna, I wanna talk about husbands tonight. I wanna talk about something that's very profound and uh, the title of my sermon this evening is the, the Ministry of a Husband. And so if you have your Bibles, I want you to begin reading with me 1 Samuel chapter 25, we're going to bounce around a bit, so I need you to follow along. 1 Samuel 25 verse 1, Then Samuel died, and the Israelites gathered together and lamented for him and buried him at his home in Ramah. And David arose, and he went down to the wilderness of Paran. Now there was a man in, a man in Maon whose business was in Carmel, And the man was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep, 1,000 goats, and he was shearing his sheep in Carmel. The name of that man was Nabal, the name of his wife, Abigail. She was a woman of good understanding and beautiful appearance, but the man was harsh and evil in his doings. He was at the house of Caleb. When David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing a sheep, David sent ten young men, and David said to the young men, Go up to Carmel, go to Nabal, and greet him by my name. 
And thus you shall say to him who lives in prosperity, Peace be to you, peace be to your house, and peace to all that you have. Now I have heard that you have shearers. Your shepherds were with us, and we did not hurt them, nor was there anything missing for them all the while they were in Carmel. Ask your young men, and they will tell you. Therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we come on a feast day. Please give whatever comes to your hand to your servants and to your son David. So when David's young men came, they spoke to Nabal according to all these words in the name of David and waited. Then Nabal answered David's servants and he said, Who is David and who is this son of Jesse? There are many servants nowadays who break away each from his own master. Shall I then take my bread and water and my meat that I have killed for my shears and give it to men whom I do not know where they are from? So David's young men turned on their heels and went back. And they came and they told David all these words. Then David said to his men, Every man put on his sword so every man put on his sword, and David also put on his sword, and about 400 men went with David, and 200 stayed with the supplies. Jump down to verse number 18. Then Abigail made haste and took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five sheep already dressed, five sails of roasted grain, 100 clusters of raisins, 200 cakes of figs, and loaded them on the donkeys. And she said to her servants, Go on before me, see I'm coming after you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. So it was as she rode on the donkey that she went down under the cover of the keel, and there were David and his men coming towards her, and she met them. Now David had said, Surely in vain I have protected all this, this, all that this fellow has in the wilderness, so that nothing was missed of all that belongs to him, and he repaid me evil for good. May God do so, and more also to the enemies of David, if I leave one male of all who belong to him by morning light. Now when Abigail saw David, she dismounted quickly from the donkey, fell on her face before David, and she bowed down to the ground. So she fell at his feet and said, On me, my Lord, on me let this iniquity be. And please let your, let your uh, maidservant speak in your ears and hear the words of your maidservant. Please let not my Lord regard this scoundrel Nabal, for as his name, so is he. Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. But I, your maidservant, did not see the young men of my Lord whom you sent. Now therefore, my Lord, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, since the Lord has held you back from coming to bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hand, now then, let your enemies and those who seek harm for my Lord be as Nabal. And now this present which your maidservant has brought to my Lord, let it be given to the young men who follow my Lord. Please forgive the trespass of your maidservant, for the Lord will certainly make my Lord an enduring house, because my Lord fights the battles of the Lord, and evil is not found in you throughout your days. 
Jump down to verse number 32. Then David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord, God of Israel, who sent you this day to meet me. And blessed is your advice, and blessed are you, because you have kept me this day from coming to bloodshed and from avenging myself with mine own hand. For indeed, as the Lord God of Israel lives, who has kept me back from hurting you, unless you had hurried and come to meet me, surely by morning light no males would have been left to Nabal. So David received from her hand what she had brought him and said to her, Go up in peace to your house. See, I have heeded your voice and I have respected your person. I know it's a long scripture. It's a lengthy story that we read tonight, but it's familiar to many of us that know the Word of God and love the Word of God. And I want to talk to you, first of all, this evening about the ministry at hand. <clears throat> now, there's a foundational truth that, that many of us as Christians have learned over the years, and that is that the blessing and the success of a marriage and of a family rests largely in the hands of the husband. I've said it for years, as the husband goes, so goes the family. And the reason that I say that is because the term husband in the Bible, it's, a, it's an ancient term, it's a, it's a house bond. That's what, where the word comes from. And the idea of the husband is he is the bond that holds the home, the marriage, and the family together. Now, a great illustration of this that I want to give to you is is an illustration of the church. The Bible teaches us that what we are, the Bible is using a metaphor, and the Bible says that what we are as the church is that we are living bricks, or we are living stones, or we are living blocks. And so as we join together, we become the church. As every individual block comes together, we become the church. And the teaching behind that is one brick is not the church. In other words, every one of us are individual blocks, stones, and bricks. And as we come together, and as we join together in relationship, that's what makes a strong church. And I'd like to make a statement behind that or on top of that, and that is that no wall is stronger than the cement that holds it together. I said all of that to say this. The husband is the house bond. And what his responsibility is, is he is the bond that holds the home, the family, the marriage together. As we join together in the church, we are the living stones. And our relationships, as we join together, uh, this is what makes us a strong church. But something powerful is missing from this truth. And that is this that I want to declare to you. Men don't make strong marriages and families. Husbands do. I want you to hear what I just said. Because there is a difference between the two. 
And many times this is the place where we drop the baton. There's a difference between a man and a husband. I hope you will understand that a little bit more clearly after a few moments. You must understand you can be a man, but never a husband to your wife. You can be a man. I've met men that are men, but they're not the bond to their family. They're not the bond to their children. And the point that I am making is you can never be a husband and not be a real man. And I hope I'm not confusing you because this is not gobbledygook. All I'm simply trying to say is you could be a man, you could be a married man and not a husband. I hope you understand that. And what I am saying is if you are a good husband, then you are a real man. And my point is, good men don't make marriages, families, and home. Good husbands do. And what a wife, ladies in our church, you don't necessarily need a man. You need a good husband. And that's what I want to differentiate. My desire, you know, in my house, I, I don't want to just be the man of the house. I want to be the husband that God's called me to be. I want to be the father of my house that God has called me to be. <clears throat> so this word husband, it carries a certain, a certain biblical flavor all its own. The word man does not carry the distinction that husband does. There's a difference, again, between a husband and a man. Uh, an example of that is there, there's a unique difference between the words man and pastor. Man and pastor. In other words, both of these are men. But a pastor is describing a different kind of man. And so what the Bible is doing is giving us a, a unique flair, a unique distinction between, the Bible teaches us, there's a difference between an evangelist, an apostle, and a prophet. All of these words, they are describing men, but obviously in each one of these categories, we're talking about men who have a special gifting. Men who have a unique gifting. They're, these are men, but there's something different about their lives. And so what I'm describing is these, these pastors, these, these evangelists, these prophets, they're men, but they're more than men. They are gifted by God. Pastors, evangelists, apostles, and prophets. So this word husband, I hope I'm not confusing you. This word husband, it's a Bible word. It's a Bible term. It's describing a man who is more than just a man. He is a special man. He is an anointed man. And what a husband is, is you have been gifted by God to hold your family together. 
to hold your home together, to hold your marriages together. And that's what a husband is, a house bond. You're the glue that holds your household together. Being a husband is not a title. Being a husband is not a function. It's not a responsibility, nor is it an obligation. Being a husband is a calling. Being a husband is a ministry given to you by God. You have been anointed to perform this service in your home, in your marriage, and God has anointed you for what? To hold your family together. Is that good preaching or is that good preaching? If you're a husband, God has given you a solemn and a powerful ministry and a responsibility for you to fulfill. When you got married, God didn't just give you a wife. When you got married, you got your greatest ministry. The ministry of a husband. I've heard it for years. A good definition of a husband is you are the high priest of your family. In other words, your home, your ministry, your priesthood is your home and your family is your congregation. So this is the truth of the Word of God. The Bible links pastoral ministry to husbandry. This word is found again and again in the Bible. Let me read it in 1 Timothy chapter 3, 1 through 5. This is a true saying. If a man desires the office of a bishop, he desires a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, and not covetous. One that rules well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Now these scriptures that I have just read to you, these are, these are the universal requirements for pastoral, for leadership ministry in a local church. And I don't want to read it again for time's sake, but verse number one that I read, and verse number four and five, the Bible says, speaking to men, if you can't take care of your own family, if you can't keep peace in your own home, if you can't cause your home to be bonded together in unity, the, the Bible conclusion is, how are you going to do that in a church? Psalms 50 verse 5 says, Gather my saints together unto me, those that have made a covenant with me. And one of the, one of the responsibilities of leadership is you have to have an ability to gather people together. <coughs> you can't. How can you gather the saints together if you can't even gather your family together? Psalms 133 says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. 
And this is a testimony from the Word of God. The Bible is saying, what a wonderful thing, what a beautiful thing when, when God's people in the church can dwell together in unity. And I want to tell you, if you've lived life for any period of time, you know that unity is a miracle. To have unity, to get five Americans together and have unity, that's a miracle. And it's because of God's leadership in our church that the church can gather together without fistfights and riots and great disturbance. Wherever you see people dwelling together in unity, whether it's in a home, in a marriage, in a family, whether it's in a local church, you can hang that on good leadership. The Bible says that Jesus could hold the multitudes together. That's a gift. How many of you ladies, if you have a lot of children, you understand what a gift it is to hold them together. You understand what I'm talking about. One of the marks of the early church, powerful revival, but one of the marks of the early church is people of every color, Every kindred, they were, they were getting saved. Literally, the early church was a church filled with brand new converts. They did not have a pastor. They did not have a church building. But multitudes, they got saved. And they started assembling together. And I would say, because they could gather together in peace, that was a mark of God's touch upon their lives. Acts 2, verse 44. And all that believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. What a miracle that was. A church of all these new people, all these new Christians, no leadership, no pastor, didn't have a building. And they would gather together in unity. That's a miracle of God. And I want to tell you, that's the responsibility of a house bond. To hold his family together. To be able to gather his family together. You could read the wonderful story of a man named Cornelius. The Bible says he was a just man, a devout man, a fasting man. But the Bible tells us he was not a Christian. He sent for the apostle Peter. He wanted Peter to come to his house to preach to him, his family, and his friends, so they all could become Christians. And the Bible says, when Peter showed up, they were all gathered together. You can lay that at the leadership of Cornelius. Cornelius could gather his household together. He could gather his family together in unity. Acts chapter 10, verse 33 Immediately, therefore, I sent to thee, and thou hast done well that you have come. Now, therefore, we are all present here before God 
to hear all the things that are commanded thee of God. So I'm using the stories of these men that, that had influence, that could gather their family together. This is the responsibility. Again, I, 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 not a man's responsibility. This is a responsibility of a, of a husband. The word, you can find it 16 times in the New Testament. Husbandmen. Husbandmen. Every time that word's mentioned, a husbandman is an owner. It's an overseer, a landlord over a parcel of land. A husbandman was somebody that, that owned a vineyard. And so what a husband literally means, it's a, it's a farmer or a, or a land worker. And it was the husbandman's job to make sure that the crops bore fruit. They would take a plot of barren land. They would clear it out. They would plant it. They would prepare the soil. They would plant the seed. And the husbandman, his job was to take an unproductive piece of land and make it productive. Make it fruitful. So that that land could bear crops. That was the responsibility of the husbandman. And I want to tell you, husband, that's your responsibility in your home. In your marriage. You're the leader. You're the overseer of your family. And I want to ask you, husbands of our congregation, can you take a barren, a bare piece of land and can you turn it into a family? Can you turn it into a, a happy home? Something that is productive, something that's valuable and fruitful. I'm talking about the ministry of a husband. And I'm trying to explain to you tonight, there's a difference between a man and a husband. House bond. I want to talk to you about the practical expressions of this ministry. Practical expressions of being a husband. There's a difference between the practical and the spiritual. Some interesting insights that we read about this wicked man, Nabal, tonight. Nabal wasn't very practical. If someone is practical, they know how to get the job done. If someone is practical, it means they're level-headed. They're efficient. They know how to get something done. They might not have all the knowledge, all the wisdom, and all the experience, but if you're practical, I love to give men a job in the church and just tell them, get it done. And if you're practical, you can. You can get it done. Well, this was not Nabal. Nabal was not very practical. We don't have time. Read it on your own, verse 10. Read it on your own, verse 17. Read it on your own, verse 25. Those scriptures call Nabal an SOB, a son of Belial. Literally, literally, what a son of Belial means is a, is a worthless man, a worthless fellow. I want to make a statement, and that is tonight, 
you know, ministry, ministry is not, is not totally spiritual. There are, there are parts of ministry that are just very, very practical. When I first became a pastor, when I first went into the ministry, I did it all. I gave people rides to church. I was the cleanup crew. I was the fix-it man. You name it, in our first church in New Mexico, you name it, and I did it. On top of that, we paid bills. On top of that, we kept that church financially afloat. We managed finances and resources. And the point that I want to make is, yes, you know, to be a leader of a church, to be a pastor of a church, yes, you need to be spiritual. But I want to tell you, you also need to be practical, level-headed, get the job done. One of the great gifts in the church are people who are practical. I'll never forget a wonderful brother that we had in our first church in New Mexico. I mean, this brother could teach college physics. Brilliant, brilliant man. Literally could teach college physics. But he didn't have the sense to come out of the rain. He had book smarts. He had intelligence. He had it all. But he had no common sense. He, he wasn't practical in any way. Now, now, I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. And, and I want to tell you tonight, obviously, to do something for God, you've got to be a spiritual man. To do something for God, you've got to be a spiritual woman. But the point that we're making tonight, that husbands, your responsibility, can you be practical in your home? In other words, can you be of, are you of good use in your home? There are several areas of practicality that are needed in your own home. And if you, if not, you know, the, if you don't have these, they'll, they'll disqualify you from from, from the ministry of being a husband or a father. And I want to tell you, you know, dad, husband, father, it's really important how your family sees you. How does your family see you? And how they view you is dependent on how you respond to certain areas of life. Your family's overall image of you is how they see you. Dad, how do they see you? How does your family see you handle the practical everyday issues of life? Listen, listen, husband, father, if you can't handle money, if you're constantly having to move from city to city because you can't pay your bills, if your phone is working one week and the next week it's disconnected, if you, your lifestyle, you know, you're always running, you're always moving from creditors, let me tell you, you lose, you lose face in your family. A man who makes wise financial decisions, a man who can support his family, you earn respect from your wife. 
You earn respect from your children. And can I tell you something about respect? Men, you can't demand it. You can't demand your wife, you better respect me. When you get married, you can't demand respect. Respect is a gift. It's what your wife gives you. It's what your children gives you. You earn their respect. 2 Thessalonians 3.10, For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. And here, men, is an area of great practicality. You need to be able to support your family. Hello. You need to be able to pay the bills. 1 Timothy 5.8, But if any provide not for his home, and especially for those of his own house, he has denied the faith, and he's worse than an infidel. And here is a great spiritual lesson, and the Bible is saying, how practical are you? Can you support your family? Can you provide for your household? Can you keep your finances above board and in order? One of the great cancers on American families are men who put their own interests, their own wants, their own hobbies, their own desires, and they put their, they put their toys above the needs of their family. In other words, they have everything that they want, but their family is, is strapped. And again, I want to tell you that if this is you, you're going to lose respect in the eyes of your wife. You're going to lose respect in the eyes of your children. Something else I want to touch on because I understand this subject is your financial integrity with God. Listen to me, husband. You'll lose every ounce of integrity, influence, and leadership from your family if your wife sees that you don't tithe. If your children see my dad doesn't tithe. And I want to ask you tonight, do you tithe? If you don't tithe, the Bible says you're a thief. And the Bible says you're the worst kind of a thief because who you're stealing from is you're stealing from God. And your wife, what does she see here? When she sees you being unrighteous with money, when she sees you being covetous, when she sees you being unethical, you know, that's a good question, husband. How does your wife see you? How does your wife view you? You can hide from me. You can Cover up your flaws to where I never see it. But listen, your wife sees it all. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Does your wife see you as a man of God? Does she see you as a man of character? Does she see you as a man of faith? Or does she say, my husband's an SOB. A son of Belial. What a tragedy. You put your wife and your children through the mess you put them through because you refuse to pay your tithes. 
You know, when financial problems hit anybody, for going on 40 years, I counsel someone with financial difficulties. The first thing I ask them, do you tithe? Are you tithing? Because I've watched bad things happen to people who don't tithe. And the real injustice is what men put their wife, their family through, because they're robbing from God. Your dishonesty is affecting your house, your family, your marriage. And dishonesty here with money, I want to tell you, it will cost you spiritual credibility with your family. The third area of practicality that I would like to talk about for a moment is mechanical practicality. You might say, Pastor, what is mechanical practicality? It's this, man. You have to fix things around the house. (laughs) Either you fix them or you find somebody that can fix them. I can remember many years ago, my wife and I, we were raising four children. Our dryer, our dryer went on the blink. And I have to tell you, when a woman has four kids and a husband and no clothesline and no dryer, that's grounds for a nuclear meltdown right there. And I want to tell you how I fixed the problem. Superman came to the rescue. I called 1-800-Manuel-Salcedo. <laughs> Amen. There is not a dryer in the kingdom of God that Manuel Salcedo cannot fix. And I didn't know how to fix that problem, but I knew Manuel. You know, it's a, it's a real bummer. It's a real bummer when your wife's washing machine breaks down and you make her go to the laundromat because you can't be bothered with getting it fixed. You make her go to the laundromat. You go to the laundromat. I'm convinced that if the demoniac of the Gadarenes, if he was alive today, he'd be hanging around a laundromat. And what I'm talking about and what I'm trying to describe, I'm trying to describe you not losing sight, you not losing face in the face of your family. That you earn respect from your wife. You earn respect from your children. I'm talking about being spiritual by being very practical. There is a spiritual dimension added to your life when you are just practical. When, when you, listen, when you fix things around the house, when you take care of your wife, when you minister to your family, great spiritual clout is added to you. When you do that, you take care of your family. Your wife sees you as a good husband. Your children see you as a good father. They see you as a provider. They see you as a true husband. And I want to tell you, men, if you want to prove your ministry tonight, I'd say chances are good that there are some things in your house that are broken that need to be fixed tonight. Go home and impress your wife. Nothing will make a wife more miserable 
than being married to a husband who lets things break down and he does not fix them. Amen. Can you imagine a husband? Oh, honey, I really love you. We don't need the car working. We can walk to church. Oh, honey, I really, really love you. We don't need the plumbing fix. We can go without water. Oh, honey, I really, I really love you. We really don't need a toilet working in our house. <coughs> I want to close very quickly with the reward of this ministry. The reward of any ministry in the kingdom of God that is done well is fruitfulness. And husband, if you'll begin to view your position, if you'll view your, your standing as a place of ministry that you're doing for God, not, not a chore, not a responsibility, being a husband, a house bond, God has given me this responsibility. I want to honor God with this responsibility. And if you'll give yourself to your wife, to your family, to your house, listen to me, God will make you fruitful. And I'm not talking about just having a lot more kids. I'm just saying you love your wife. You serve your wife. You be that good husband that God has called you to be. God will make you fruitful. Write it down. God will bless a good husband. He will bless a good husband. You can study this wicked man, Nabal. He was a, he was a son of Belial, a worthless fellow. He was a foolish man. And as I said earlier, he was a man, but he was a horrible husband. There's a difference between being a man and being a husband. The Bible calls Nabal a fool. His wife spoke to David, and she said, my husband's a fool. The Bible called him a fool. His wife called him a fool. Ultimately, he gets in heads over heels in trouble. And one of the reasons he did is because he wouldn't listen to the good wife that God gave him. And that's the last thing that I want to leave with your husbands. I, that I want to leave to husbands. And that is that Nabal would have saved his own life if he would have listened to his wife. How's that for a poem? Wife life. Wife, life. Two interesting words. Wife and life. Not only do they rhyme, but husbands, your wife is your life. Let's bow our heads. Heads are bowed. Eyes are closed. No one is moving around just for a moment. We've gathered together. We've done nothing unusual We've done what we've done year in, year out, decade in, decade out. We gathered together tonight, we sang, we, 
we worshiped God, we, we prayed for our nation, we prayed for our brethren. And then what we did is we preached the Word of God. And I'm telling you, it is the preaching of the Word of God that will change your life. The Bible is not a suggestion. The Ten Commandments are not ten suggestions. The Bible is the Word of God. And if you will line yourself up with the Word of God, your life will drastically change. That's what happened to me in 1977. For the first time in my life, I came into a Bible preaching church. I started listening. I started hearing. I started obeying. And immediately, immediately, my life began to change. Day to night, from darkness to light. That's the story of my life. This is what God wants to do to you tonight. Our desire is that you come into contact with the living God. If that does not happen, if you don't meet with God in a church service, then, then there was no real point for having that meeting. Because what church is to be, it's to be a meeting with you and God. Right now, the Holy Spirit is, is working, moving in every heart, every life. And I wonder tonight, if you're, not, if you're not right with Christ, if you've never been born again, if there's sin in your life, and you want to be forgiven of your sins, we would love to pray with you. We'd count it an honor and a privilege to pray with you tonight. Is there anyone here under the sound of my voice? There's sin in your heart. You're, because of that sin, you're separated from God. And you want that distance. You want it close tonight. You want to be right with God. You want to be forgiven of your sins. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand up so I can pray with you. I want you to raise your hand. Anyone here tonight? Front to back, left to right. I don't know who you are. I don't know your life story. I don't know where you come from. But all that matters tonight, nothing else matters. Are you right with God? Eternity rests upon this. Where you dwell in eternity rests on this. And so one final time, maybe you're watching live stream. Maybe God is convicting you of your sin. Maybe you come to church here. Maybe you don't even come to church here. But you know in your heart that you're a sinner. And you want to get your heart right with God. You that are watching this via live stream, I want you to raise your hand in your living room. Raise it up. Hold it up. Slip it up right now. God dealing with you. And you mean business with God. You want to ask Christ to forgive you of your sin in your home. Raise your hand. Raise. I can't see it, but God can. And tonight, if you raised your hand on live screen, there's a, there's a prayer right now that you can pray. Dear Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me of my sins. I, I admit my sin. God, I'm a sinner. Have mercy on me, a sinner. Pray that prayer. Ask Christ to forgive you. And then please, if you've done that, notify us. Send us a text so we can communicate with you. So, so we can help you, get you started in a life lived for Jesus Christ. 
Let's stand to our feet all over this building. I want to open our, our altars. If God is dealing with you about being a husband, I want you please get out of your chair. Come find a place to pray while we sing and worship God tonight. Begin to glorify God. Father, we love you tonight, Lord. 